you have lovely posture. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Publish, Perish or Podcast, your opportunity to look behind the scenes of science to see if science is just completely done with COVID-19 restrictions. I'm Andy Stapleton and joining me today is Cameron Shmoobishira. Good results, Andy, and good results, listeners. Good results, listeners. Uh, Are you over this? I guess so, but, but like you said, coronavirus restrictions. And yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm really over coronavirus restrictions. Why that not? stopped me from doing much. I think I'm... Sport. Yeah. Mate, sport was, is the biggest one. I was about to say that I've recently started walking the dog in the evening, basically because I'm missing sport and exercise in the evenings. Yeah, okay. What would you normally do? You do like basketball and stuff, cricket. Well, not in winter, but uh, in winter I might play a game of basketball, maybe a game of netball a week, and now I've been doing nothing. Uh, We've had bad weather, so I haven't been doing any exercise at all. Mm, Same. Um, And so I'm over that. I thought you'd been looking a bit pudgy. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Have you put on weight? Since coronavirus? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm not exactly sure what I weighed beforehand, but I do weigh more now than I normally think i do mm, more pushing for the cushion no what is it more cushion for the pushing <laughs> <laughs> okay i get that yeah <laughs> um yeah good so you want to over it then that's what i'm hearing well no not really we've talked before i like the lab space that i had while the coronavirus restrictions are going on yeah we basically have no restrictions now yeah in adelaide yeah. no clubs yeah. that's about it no um indoor sports mm. Um, but no, I can understand why people all over the world would be sick of it if they've really been stuck at home for yeah. a long time. Or you're more stuck at home than I am. Yeah. So you must be over it by now. I am pretty over it, but I understand the importance of uh, not spreading coronavirus. <laughs> so I'm trying my best yes. to stay inside. But uh, you've ventured outside of your suburb tonight. Tonight. Because... This is the first recording since COVID-19 took over the world. Yes, back face uh, to face. Face to face. That's brilliant. But yeah, look, am I over it? Yes. But do I understand the importance? Yes. And I think unfortunately, uh, we have in South Australia not been hit very hard. And that makes us even more susceptible to a second wave, I reckon. That we're even more lax. It just takes one or two person people to come in and start like shaking hands and yes. touching people, and then that's it. Boom, it's all off again, and we're fine. We're just like, oh yeah, whatever. Give us a hug. Give us a kiss. Come here, cheeky cheek. Mm. Yeah, it really looks like we're being so careful opening the place up again. Yeah, that the government does not trust its population with going back closed again like yeah. i kind of expected it would be like an accordion uh-huh but it looks like they just want it to be closed and then open it's all fine yeah um yeah i, I and so i, I mean, agree they don't trust the people to handle it being closed again and so maybe that i mean maybe they must have something mm. evidence behind that mm. like, yeah yeah no that's right but we can't be trusted <laughs> no it seems like everyone in the world is just open right now yeah. Regardless of their situation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what do you think? Would science be over COVID restrictions? Um, I think it's probably been, what's it been? 
about four months for most people, three months, four months. Yeah. I'd like to think that whatever experiments science wanted to have had done on closing the world up, it's probably had time to do it by now Mm -hmm. and it's ready to open the world up and return to its previous experiments. So, yes, science is sick of it. Okay. Um, Yeah, what do you think? Good. Uh, I'll go so I'll go with no just because I feel like science is like, you know what? Now's that time I can write that bloody paper. Oh, or the grant. I've, or the grant. Or mm. the... I feel like uh, science would just be like, we welcome it, welcoming the opportunity to publish and do other things like that. All the rubbish stuff that it's forced to do. Yeah. Mm. Perfect. It's time for News from the Week. Shmoopy Shira. It's been like ages. So, news for a month. What's been going on? I think we actually last spoke about two weeks ago because we were very late (laughs) on the last podcast (laughs) and we might be only a little bit late on this one. Perfect. We're Um, getting better. (laughs) I am a great science citizen. You've always (gasps) thought that, haven't you? I have. I always thought you were a great science citizen. What on earth have you been doing? You also think that science citizenship is a worthy pursuit in an academic career, don't you? Yeah. I don't think you do from your face. <laughs> uh, I am. I have ex- accepted the opportunity to be a guest editor uh, of a special issue for a journal. <laughs> um, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I don't want to belittle your accomplishment, mm-hmm. but uh, why? Oh, CV filler. Mostly <laughs> yeah. See, CV filler. That makes me that <laughs> makes me sad for you and that and everyone else, right? Like, oh, uh, it'd be good for a CV. More, more free stuff for a private entity that's going to make money from your labour. When are we going to get past this? So it's for the journal Nanomaterials. Yes, published by MDPI. Impact factor four point something. So yeah. it's, that's an all right impact factor, it is. isn't it? It's all right, yeah. Yeah. I got asked to promote um, my special issue on yeah. my social medias. Yeah. And so I put one on our Facebook page yeah. with the you know the picture they had said. Yeah. Uh, guest editor Cameron Shearer. Yeah. With the comment, editors get paid, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and obviously the answer is yes, and you're earning what about at least at least thirty grand for this editing role? I expect so. I don't know when I'll get the money though. No, um, better ask. I'll tell you what. Do all the work and just send them an invoice at the end. <laughs> uh, so I also put it on LinkedIn and I said something else. Yep. Uh, and I also put it on Twitter where I did the Twitter formula of very excited to be. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the guest editor of this special <laughs> issue of Nanomaterials. And yeah. then I added some what I thought were appropriate hashtags. Yeah, great. I have no idea how else anyone's ever going to see Good. it on, on Twitter. Yeah, and how has been the response? I haven't checked on Twitter. Mm. I haven't checked on LinkedIn. Great. I can see you're all over this. Yeah. And I don't think there's any been any likes on Facebook yet. Oh, but man. But over dinner, you did tell me that Facebook kind of hold back the likes and then you get it all, them all at once. Yeah. So maybe that's going to happen. Fingers and crossed. I'm going to get 100 likes. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, or no one really cares that much. Um, and that's probably the correct response. Oh, how how hard will it be for you to get a full, I mean, how much do you, uh, a chapter? Like how many, like 20 papers, 10 papers? Like what, what have you got to bring in? 
So I don't have to bring in any papers. Great. What happens is they use it as a marketing tool to get people to publish papers in this journal. Right. And I am also expected to invite my friends to publish a paper in their journal. What a racket. And they may feel somewhat obliged to publish a paper in this journal, which, of course, charges a publication fee. Uh, of which you get a portion? Uh, we, I haven't seen that contract <laughs> oh, yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I get to publish one paper for free. Brilliant. So that's you know a saving of 2,000 Swiss francs. Brilliant. Is this the same journal that Gibbo? It is. Because it's a very... <laughs> I it's think, a very similar uh, yeah, system. Okay, so it's I'm the same sure journal. I'm not sure if Gibbo did nanomaterials or another one. Okay. But yeah. It sounds like the same formula. It's the same publisher, MDPI. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, so there you go. Um, uh, brilliant. I'm, I'm going up in the world. You are going obviously, up in the world. Obviously, um, academic citizen number one. Yeah. Congratulations. Do you, how, do you, how does it really make you feel, though? Like, are you, when it came across, were you like, uh, CV filler, or were you genuinely excited? I'm very quick to poo-poo this stuff, yep. clearly. What did you really think? I thought that would be a CV filler at the time that I got it, which was, I think, more than six months ago. Yeah. I thought, I just don't have the time to do this right now. Yeah. And then I think I had a boring morning recently, <laughs> and I wrote, to the, I wrote back to that email from six months ago saying, is this offer still available? Wow. If yes, I'll accept. Oh, man, you're glad um, for punishment. And apparently it was. They kept it open Great. for me. Great. So maybe they don't send that many out and they were just waiting for me. Yeah, mm. definitely that one. Second bit of news for you, Endo. Go on. I always say that industry relationships are, I want to say like an accordion again. <laughs> <laughs> They're like a longitudinal wave. Okay. There's... Fast bits and there's slow bits. Yeah. I am going through a slow bit with my industry mm. partner at the moment. Mm -hmm. They have not replied to my last four emails. Oh, man. Yeah. And I, it is quite disheartening when I write them an email and I get nothing back. Yeah. I'm kind of used to it because, I mean, you do the same thing to me, actually, Andy. So, you've, yeah, you've toughened me up. You Thanks, probably man. saw this coming. I did. I, it, it was training. <laughs> but I'm actually, I wrote this down in my notes before today they called me. Oh, shit. Nice. And they've been in a remote island off the north of Australia in an Aboriginal community for the last four weeks. All right. That's so, why. They've got a pretty good excuse That's for not having excuse. replied to my email. So, um, that was the reason for this slow period is basically they've been away for a very long time. Weird. Last bit of news. Go on. I've got very detailed notes. You know that I take good notes from you this podcast. You take really good notes, yeah. I had a little reminder pop up saying that on June the 13th, Andy will reveal his secret project. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm happy to do that. Okay. So, on January the 13th, probably yep. the first P-Pop episode this year. Yeah. Wow. Has it really been... Yeah. Uh, okay. Nice. Episode 93. Yeah. Um, geez, that's not many episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Andy promised that he would reveal a secret project yeah. in six months' time. Yeah. I've waited six months. Well done, man. What's my secret project? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's my first bit of news then. 
Okay. Um, the the secret project. So you know how I've been selling sort of content strategy. Um, I've been trying to. So I I started with verbalize.science and uh, look. To be honest with you, no one's asking for it. The one thing I've learned in this whole business world is you need a hungry audience. And I mistook uh, my own excitement for a hungry audience, right? Verbalizers taught me a lot about business, but it was clear that I needed to expand my kind of offering or market um, segment. So what I've been doing is looking at what I enjoy doing and I needed to build skills to show that I knew what I was doing. So I started a series of case studies. Now, one of those case studies is called Beard Growing Pro. Oh, okay. This is brand new. What's this? It's a website, right? What (laughs) What I wanted to do was I wanted a zero social media driven business that I could launch with just search engine optimized articles in YouTube chat and YouTube videos. Okay. So if you go to beardgrowingpro.com, you'll see... <laughs> Is you growing your beard? It's beard advice <laughs> and beard products and beard stuff. And so what my plan was, was over, over the last six months is grow a website and an audience and then monetize that with um, ads, with products, with uh, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is the funny thing. It started as a case study. So six months ago, all I wanted to see was a good amount of traffic. So was that a website six months ago? No, no. well, it was. So September, I started it, but uh, I, I added 40 articles. Okay. Right, to, to, and then I just let it sit and I let Google start ranking it. Yes. Right? The idea is that over the two years, it takes about two years for a website to get popular, um, that I would continue to grow, test my skills, use it as a test bed for my clients so I can say, yeah, if you want more traffic to your website, this is what you can do, right? I can use it as a case study. Mm -hmm. The issue is, is that it's gone so well that I've actually just started a a business from it. (laughs) So I'm getting just shy in six months, just shy of um, 5,000 page views a month. Um, which is pretty good considering it's not promoted at all on YouTube and or on social media. I've got a YouTube channel that I started two weeks ago with 51 (laughs) subscribers, Okay, right? And um, I'm actually putting Beard Growing Pro through a small incubator right now just so that I can um, learn a little bit more about product-based businesses, Uh as in have a shop front, an e-commerce store, um, and then people buy stuff. So... I was only, about six months ago, I was only going to tell you about the business, as in like, oh, sorry, the case study, Mm -hmm. as in like, I wanted to grow a website to get as much traffic as possible. Yep. And within six months and very little effort in terms of once the articles were written and just watch it grow. Yeah. And it's well on track to be about 10,000 to 20,000 page views by the end of the year, um, which I'm really happy about Mm -hmm. because that's significant traffic. Uh, kind of if you consider it like a storefront and, you know, 20,000 people walking past a month and you may attract 3% of those in to buy something, it's that sort of idea. Um, yeah, and and now it's turned into its own little business. Wow. Yeah. Beard growing pro. Yeah, man. <laughs> no wonder you're so obsessed with your beard. I know. You're, I've been... you're thinking about it so much more than what... What a normal a regular person. person would. Absolutely, yeah. And so that's exactly right. And and part of this for me, because I'm selling uh, like content services and content advice, 
I needed something that had authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, I grew a beard. Yeah. Is because I was like, I'm, I need to have that same connection with the business that my potential clients would have. So it's like, you know, just authenticity. Because you don't want to buy beard products from someone without a beard, right? Mm. And, there, and that's yeah. where we're at. So that is my secret product, which has gone way better than I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is interesting. I would not have guessed that in the world. Mm. Well done. Thanks, man. Um, yeah. And I'm glad you didn't do uh, uh, Shampoo Your Ponytail Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> LusciousLocksPro.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So there we are. There's my secret project not so secret anymore wow um cool yep sign up to the youtube channel uh that's only brand new right but once again i do not cross post anything i've never seen anything exactly about it before. and i wanted to show my clients that that i could grow something in secret without using my linkedin audience mm-hmm. and that it would grow i can do it essentially with no social media yep um and that's just, that's just exactly what has happened mm-hmm. so anyway that's where we're at. There's the project. I'm very proud of it, actually. That's cool. Um, okay, other news from me uh, is invitations to peer review. You. I'm obviously not doing it, right? Which email address are they sending well, it to? Well, so Gibbo just put out... So I, I was getting nothing because all of my peer-reviewed papers were to my university addresses. Yep. But Gibbo's last paper, and I think there was another one, Anyway, there's been two with uh, my stapleton.aj oh. <laughs> email address. Yep. And so now, bloody thin, solid films. Uh, <laughs> another Elsevier. Anyway, man, like it's do just you, annoying. Do you say no? Yes, I say no. Oh, good. Because it's free. So clearly I'm not going to do it. But secondly, I've been out of this field uh, for so long. I'm worried that you would just ignore it forever. Oh, no. I say, I click no. Yeah. Yeah. Because I understand that they then it will just go <laughs> on to the next person. But um, yeah, I've been getting peer... And I was like, no. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't because I'm out of the field. And secondly, um, it's free work. And yes. that's not what I do anymore. Shouldn't the editor perhaps check... What are they doing sending review yeah. to non-university email addresses? Yeah. yeah. The the thing is, that the annoying thing is, is that it has updated my email address, I think, throughout the whole system. Yeah. So clearly they've just gone, oh, it's a new email address. Mm. Or Andrew, you know, we've got an updated email address. We'll just spam him. So I've had three or four that I've had to say no to. Wow. Yeah. You must be a relevant scientist. We haven't done that test for a while, but you must be a relevant scientist oh, at the be, moment. Yeah, who knows? Who know? I haven't checked my Google Scholar. Anyway, so yeah, clearly I shouldn't do it, but it is annoying. Second thing is, and this will lead us into the topic maybe for the day, is I have had invitations to publish in journals. <laughs> oh, they actually said in one of the emails that they were struggling to fill up um for an issue Mm. now what where does that leave science this is pure marketing an online issue too yeah there is no space yeah exactly (laughs) it's like oh we're struggling to fill this issue would you consider submitting some of your work to our publication 
It's such what what an odd selling point as well. Okay. Nothing about yeah. them being like we're read by the best people. Yeah, it's just like we're desperate. Exactly, we'll take yeah. it. Yeah, so we're reaching out to your Stapleton AJ email address that isn't linked to any universities. Um, that one I just deleted. But yeah, I was like, where does that leave science? I mean, like clearly they're not a high class like i didn't even look at the impact factor but clearly they're not an a1 journal it must right? be a predatory journal it must be but still <laughs> <laughs> it's time for topic of the day topic of the day topic of the day yeah yeah i think that was very good uh, yeah considering that that was uh, on the fly loved it <laughs> um all right the topic for the day is science's public profile in terms of what COVID has and has not done for science's profile. Yes. Cameroon. Uh, Was it last episode that we did the COVID silver linings? Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. And one of the silver linings I had put forth was that people would have a higher perception of science after this because scientists would be coming out with good advice People would be following it and and they would be seeing immediate health benefits. Yeah. That's what I honestly thought was going to happen. <laughs> it sounds like you're now skeptical of your own uh, prediction. I am incredibly skeptical of my own prediction. Oh, no. And it's all because of one paper in particular. Mm. So the paper is titled Hydroxychloroquine or Chloroquine with or without Macrolide for treatment of COVID-19, a multinational registry analysis. Okay. And so this is a paper published in The Lancet. Oh, that's a good one. Impact factor, 59. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's the second highest uh, ranked medical journal. Wow. Um, the publisher is Elsevier, our right. least favorite publisher, I would yeah, that's say. That's right. I'd say so. Wiley's um, top. Wiley's top. And it's a very la-dee-da journal. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean la-dee-da? La-dee-da. Founded 1823. Oh, la-dee-da. 197 years ago. Yeah. And how many editors-in-chief do you reckon it might have had in those 197 years? Uh, let's go five years, 20? Uh, not bad. 12. All right. So 12 editors-in-chief. The first four were all had the last name of Wakeley. Oh, um, God, that makes me sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, now, now can I call it a la-dee-da journal? You can, la-dee-da. Uh, all right, so the backstory is that hydroxychloroquine is an anti-malarial drug, uh, and it's also a malarial treatment. Yep. Uh, in March this year, there was some anecdotal evidence coming out of COVID nineteen hotspots, that it was that it was possibly an effective treatment. Um, so these were generally on the smaller scale, say five to twenty people in like lab based clinical studies, mm-hmm. or it would be more very much anecdotal of people just trying anything in hotspots like Italy or China. Um, and so basically, from this very anecdotal, not yet proven evidence, the US FDA authorized its use as a treatment kind of without going through um human trials or something that would normally be 
required. Okay, so they just rushed it because it was like, shit, we need to do something. Yes, mm. and, it, and it is uh, authorized as an anti-malarial. Okay. Um, so it just hadn't really been, hasn't gone through the full testing for its for this effectiveness or if it could possibly cause harm mm. in COVID-19. Um, so basically, the next day, uh, Trump announced during a press briefing that hydroxychloroquine was a potential treatment for COVID-19. I remember that that press conference. So he was kind of, I think, just spitballing ideas or he'd heard someone had said it to him that morning and he yeah. just kind of said it out loud at a press conference. But also, as far as Trump's stuff goes, this seems like a reasonable thing for him to say based on how it was being used. Yes. It's not the inject bleach or put light up your ass uh, yeah. kind of comments which right? he also said which he also said yeah so so <laughs> i almost don't blame him for this one mm-hmm. given this backstory yeah it actually like with the evidence that he would have had at that time yeah it isn't a bad call no but of course he has that cut type of power mm. that very soon after this hydroxychloroquine was sold out all over the country mm. and um doctors were pre- prescribing it to themselves and family members. Those bastards. Okay, and then on the 18th of May, Trump publicly stated that he was taking hydroxychloroquine combined with zinc, an initial dose of azithromycin. Mm. So he's come out and said that he's he's definitely taking this every day. And I think this is around the time where he said that he's testing positively, which is negative. (laughs) 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 <laughs> this sounds so Trump-esque. I love it. Yes. All right. So the 18th of May, he's come out and said he's taking it. He's taking it daily. Yeah. On the 22nd of May, four days later, The Lancet, mm. the Lady Dar Journal, mm, Impact Lady Factor 59, Dawn. published this paper, whose name I said before, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine with or without macrylide for treatment of COVID-19, a multinational registry analysis, and its findings were not that it was effective treatment, but that in fact it increased the mortality rate of COVID-19 patients by 30%. That's a lot. How happy were we at that stage to hear that Trump was wrong? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, people love that. (laughs) Yeah, especially if he's like taking it with zinc. Yes. So, he's yeah, he's just gone all alternative medicine. That's right, yeah. And out comes a peer-reviewed study in Mm. The Lancet. Mm Mm-hmm. Impact Factor 59, saying that it's actually increasing his chance of death. Yeah. And of course, he didn't stop taking it. How many people in that sort of journal would have been like, can we just not tell him? (laughs) Like, just let him keep keep him going and we'll just... Because it's, you know, it's just Trump. So I feel like they did tell him. Yeah. And he didn't care. Or because they told him. Yeah. He didn't care more. Yeah, okay. Um, And this is where the public perception of science comes back to it, Mm. where he has a very low perception of science. Mm -hmm. And at that stage right here, where us as being science aficionados are seeing he's wrong, he's going to get his comeuppance here, he's probably going to die because he's taking hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Yeah. and so, following on from this, the World Health Organization cancelled trials of this drug in 17 countries, proper full studies. Yeah. Um, and by stopped, you mean they just stopped the funding of they, this drug? 
so, do they do it? So the World Health Organization were running trials okay. at different, and they they just stopped them. Yeah, Our right okay. they they decided well, at whatever stage we're at, we're going to stop. We're not going to finish to find out for ourselves. Yeah, okay. If yep. um, hydroxychloroquine is a effective for mm. COVID nineteen treatment or not, they're they're following this based on a publication in the Lancet mm-hmm. impact factor. 59. 59. Jesus. Um, all right. So the paper in a nutshell is data collected from hospital records of 96,000 patients was used by a medical data company um, to determine whether hydroxychloroquine was an effective treatment for COVID-19. They found, in fact, a 30% increased chance of in mortality when patients were given hydroxychloroquine. Mm. Um, and so the authors were three doctors and one person from this um, medical data company called mm. Surgisphere. So that paper was published on the 22nd of May. On the 26th of May, some Australian scientists pointed out some odd things about the data. Mm-hmm. So what they pointed out was that the paper said that there were 73 deaths from COVID-19, mm-hmm. but in fact, there were only 67 deaths and most of those deaths occurred in nursing homes. So Okay. And the data in this journal is only coming from hospitals and it's only coming from specific hospitals. Uh, so uh, three days later, The Lancet uh, published a correction okay. saying that they had incorrectly placed some of those deaths in Australia when in fact they were in Asia. Okay. So... That's the review, the science process at work. Yeah. Find a problem, fix it up. Yeah. Uh, on the 28th of May, a day before that correction was published, an open letter signed by 180 authors highlighted 10 major errors included in the paper. Wow. Uh, so I've just got a couple here for you. Yeah. No ethical review to see if it was okay to permit to publish patient's hospital data yeah no code released for the machine learning algorithm that was used to scan all of these hospital databases pull out who had died from coronavirus pulling out what who took hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine Mm -hmm. and what other medication they were on at the same time right so there should there could be an algorithm bias to how that data is collected so exactly yeah and uh how is it going through 96,000 patient records and and choosing what is valid data and what is not valid data mm. for its 30% increase in mortality? Um, and in the machine learning field, it is mandatory to publish your code. Right. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that makes complete sense in the same way that we would publish how we made a certain thing even down to like the instruments we use and yeah. the purity of or who you the pur- solvents who you purchased the chemicals yeah. from yeah yeah okay uh good no names of hospitals were given where they got it from or where they actually got the data from or how they got these hospitals to give them the data mm. no information on how that's given out um and also within their um they used a mean daily dose of hydroxychloroquine, which is 100 milligrams higher than the FDA recommended re- okay. recommended amount. Yeah. 
um, which is odd considering that 66% of all their data came from North American hospitals. So you would expect that they would be giving the drug at FDA-recommended levels. Yeah. Oh, man. So so this isn't looking good for the Lancet. No. For the people who did the study, which clearly it just looks rushed. Mm. Like it's like COVID's a hot topic. Yep. We know that we've got some sort of uh, anecdotal evidence of this drug working. Let's see what we can sweep together by sending our machine algorithm thing out into the world. Yeah. And let's just hope that, I don't know, no one notices. How does that even... It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so they've got 96,000 people's data, which is much better than the 5 to 20 for the anecdotal evidence yeah. before. So that's, and that's why this one was given so much more uh, weight yeah. than anything else. Um, so so the, the open letter basically says, um, we want to see the data yeah. and we want to see the peer review process. Yeah. So, wh- why weren't the peer peer reviewers asking these questions as well? Um, yeah. What? So, from a from a scientist's perspective, is this just part of the process, or is there something deeply wrong with something here? Right? Because this isn't just oh, okay, yeah, I can see. Like people, it's not that you produce a paper and then forty people write. A letter to be yes. like, this is terrible. Yeah. So what? It's just a combination of popular topic, rushed science to match public demand mm-hmm. and professional demand for information. Yep. Combined with yeah, poor peer review process. Yeah. So it looks like it. Uh, we don't know how long the peer review process took. Mm. Um, but we can see that. It took four days for these Australians to point out that those death numbers must be wrong. Yeah. And it took six days for an open letter <laughs> with 10 major flaws signed by 180 professionals in the field. Oh, man. Uh, to get sent to the Lancet. Oh, they would have loved that, <laughs> wouldn't they? <laughs> well, I mean, all of those names are potential reviewers for future, pap- future yeah. papers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh like, man, the, you, you don't like the way we do it. Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh man, that's so. For me, this is partly a demonstration of how bad science can go if you just let humans run it, but mm. a good demonstration of how science self-corrects. Yes. It's just that in this, normally the pendulum doesn't swing too far. Yeah. It just like wibbles around the middle. Whereas this one, because of the external factors and a pandemic and popularity, just was like, oh my God. And then massive correction the other way. So have we ended up in the middle because of that? Well, no, I mean, we haven't. So, I mean, I haven't haven't actually finished. You haven't finished. It gets worse. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh God. I'm annoyed already. So we're going to get back to that pendulum swinging. All right, okay. But we haven't reached the bottom yet. Oh no! All right. We are. So we just asked to see the data. Yeah. Basically, give us a the data. The data was collected by Surgisphere, 
this company who say they collect medical data and, and do it. Owned and operated by one of the authors and they refuse to allow access to their data even to their co-authors due to confidentiality to their patients. Okay. All other authors then request the paper to be retracted. That oh, happens God. on the 4th of June. Yeah. A day before that, on the 3rd of June, the WHO, World Health Organization, recommenced their clinical trials on the hydroxychloroquine for, as a treatment for COVID-19. Okay. How does it make you feel after this? I still haven't reached the bottom, but at this point, Trump was right. Oh, that, that's annoying. <laughs> or at least not wrong. At least yeah. not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the feeling of he was wrong, and now it's back to, oh, hang on a minute, we're wrong. Science is wrong at this point. Yeah. Because we sh- it should never have been said, and it's been retracted. Yeah. Oh, but no one looks at retraction. I know. Yeah, it's too late. There was something terrible the other day when it was just like the amount of people who actually read the paper that they cite. Because you see that another paper has cited it and you just use the same yes. so-and-so thought, same site, boom. Mm. And so no one actually goes check. It's, some, it's ridiculous. It's like yeah. one in five. I don't know. Of papers are read- actually checked. Well, I mean, I can tell you that my graphene thickness paper with... yeah. Excuse the brag. Over 100 <laughs> sites. Oh, hello. Is re- is probably been cited for the correct reason uh, less uh, than five times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man! All right. So, tra- hang on. I've j- I'm just so confused. Trump was wrong, right? Yeah. No. Well, so, so, uh, so at this point, so now in the story, we're at the fourth of June. Yeah. You know that's. Like 20 days ago. Yeah. Oh, my God. Science is working fast. (laughs) At this stage, so we're kind of back to there's anecdotal evidence that hydroxychloroquine could be effective because this massive study that said that it increases your chance of death has now been retracted by the authors themselves. Yeah. So, basically, they've they've admitted. Okay. So, the authors have said... All the authors but one have said, we can't see the data ourselves. Yeah. We will retract the paper. Yeah. The author who works for Surgisphere or is the owner of Surgisphere yeah. has not agreed to that, but they, they're not the corresponding. They don't get the final say okay, in it. Okay, great. So now we're back to the fact that, yeah, it, there's still some light evidence. And we're talking thousands of uh, data points still in the anecdotal mm. bit, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little bit more than just someone going, oh, I took it and it made me feel better. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. But so Trump's still necking the pills. He's still got his own personal stash. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, oh, did you know that the same group of authors published another paper on COVID-19? No, I didn't know that. Using data by Surgisphere? Oh, nice. Okay. What did they say in that paper? Uh, that paper was called... Cardiovascular Disease, Drug Therapy, and Mortality in COVID-19. That was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Impact Factor, 70. Jesus. Uh, That paper was actually published a month before the hydroxychloroquine paper, but Mm. it was retracted on the same day because, once again, Surgisphere refused to let the co-authors view the data. 
Okay. So, I've done a bit of a deep dive on Surgisphere. Mate, love it. What do you reckon? Do they have such high integrity that they are refusing, in the light of all of these things, to reveal their sources of data? Mm. Or do you think that they're just making the data up? (laughs) I think... Okay, so if they're a private company and they're a startup, and uh, I I reckon there'd be huge pressure... If they do, you know if they've got funding? Do you uh, know if they've been invested in? I don't believe they've been invested in. Okay, and they have at that at the time of these attractions, mm. eleven employees. All right. So if they if they had investors, I would say there'd be huge potential pressure on them to deliver, get mm-hmm. in high high paper, you know, make a name for yourself, yep. right? Um, and and also. In in the startup world, there is a company that completely made up all of their results to gain investment. Mm-hmm. So it is there is like precedent, right? This okay. does happen. Yes. Um, I can't remember the. It was like Life Labs or Life Bio or something like that. But this CEO just made up everything. But okay. got tens of millions of dollars worth of investment. So, um, without knowing the whole story, or well, you can't quite remember the whole story. No. Did it end out well for them? No, no, because they got found out. Okay. <laughs> it is possible to make the data up. Yeah. All right. Now, I'm actually going to give some sources here because there's a couple of great blog posts. Yeah. By, uh, one by Peter Ellis, freerangestats.info, and one by James Todaro on medicineuncensored.com. Mm. Um, they've looked up, they've gone onto the Surgisphere website and a few other things since then. Now, these have all been taken down now. All right. So I couldn't do this for myself. That's what I'm saying. Plus, if someone's already done it, I'm a scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Work, All right. Work smarter, not harder. Surgisphere established 2008, performs cloud-based healthcare data analytics, and has only ever published two papers. <laughs> One in the New England Journal of Medicine, Ooh. Impact Factor 70. One in the Lancet, Impact Factor 59. They came out one month apart. <laughs> yeah, twelve years after the um, this company had been established. Weird. Um, apparently, there's some website where you can look up what a company is worth. Mm-hmm. Um, Surge's fear was valued at forty five thousand um, dollars before uh, this uh, before this whole thing occurred. Yeah. Which basically makes it very difficult to believe that they could have access to the data of one hospital because that mm. would be worth a, a lot of money, mm-hmm. let alone the 671 hospitals worldwide they claim to have got this data from yeah. to, to make the paper. Fake it till you make it. On their website, they listed that they've won five awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Ellis went through each of them on three occasions he found the award and that someone else actually won it. Oh, God. So, blatant lie yeah. for the awards they won. Yeah. Another one was awarded to the medical center where Surgisphere founder Sapan Desai worked, but just to his 
medical center where he works. Right, not the company. Not the company mm. and not even necessarily him. Yeah. Uh, and the last one was definitely awarded to Surgisphere. Great. It's a Frost and Sullivan Healthcare Innovation Technology Award 2019. Nice. This award is given to an industry following a proprietary methodology, meaning they don't say why they give this award to anyone. Oh. And, but what they do say... Proprietary (laughs) methodology. What they do say (laughs) is that the recipient of this award must pay a fee in order for Frost and Watson to communicate the award to the public. It's by an award. It's by an award. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, they are doing everything right. Just lying. (laughs) I've got more. I've got more. All right. One of the 11, only one of the 11 employees has a science degree. Yeah. That's the founder, uh, Sapan Desai. Reporters from the newspaper, The Guardian, say the employees of Surgisphere include a science fiction writer. (laughs) L. Ron Hubbard. And an adult content model. Mm, this what a team if i was a if i was a venture capitalist you always look at the team this is a winning team all employees had been employed in the last two months yeah after even though the company's 12 years old um oh a biography of desai on a brochure for an international medical conference says he's a certified lean six sigma master black belt Mm. An obvious thing to put on a conference uh, brochure. And his Wikipedia page was deleted in 2010 due to poor citations for his, (laughs) quote, exceptional achievements. (laughs) His buyed, his uh, purchased awards. Oh, man. This is, yeah. Well, clearly, there are so many red flags on this CEO as a person and professional and as a business that clearly people should just be embarrassed to have, that it's even got into those papers that journals yeah yeah so it is embarrassing yeah so these i don't know if there's any paper with higher impact factor than Mm-mm. 59 and 70 no these are the two best medical journals in the world probably the two most cited journals in the world. Yep. How did it happen? Like you started thinking in your head before, how could it happen? Editor, reviewers. I tell you what, people saw machine learning. Yep. I don't think anyone got, other than out of my field. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Like I hope the other, I hope the other reviewers good at this. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what's happened. Is they've gone, oh, we're good at the medical stuff. We're really good at that. Mm-hmm. But the machine learning, oh, it's just a black box. Like, yeah. all right, we can like we can see how it would have worked. We're clever enough to know that you need data and then you use some clever algorithms. But yeah, oh, that's yeah. out of my field. It looks good. It looks good enough. Yeah. So, like on a realistic standpoint. Do you think that you marking a journal would go to the effort to see 76 deaths in Australian hospitals? Mm. Is that plausible? 
And then would you go to, you know, the John Hopkins website to see the number of deaths in hospitals in Australia at that date? Yeah. Would you go that far? You, I mean, you should. This is, but this is, I mean, but it's, it's the the paper is full of tables. Like it's yeah. not that. Like that's not their one fact. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it, there's no doubt that it was a rush job. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. Based on the fact that they knew that they could probably get attention for it. Remember, this all comes down to, from a journal's perspective, getting notoriety for the science they publish. Because that's ultimately what gives it its power, its impact factor. So if they can be the first to say something, mm. then that gives them the credibility, the publicity yep. that they need. It's, it's marketing their their journal. So yeah, look, it, they trusted that that weird company <laughs> too much. Yes. Yeah, way too much. So, like that, I, I like. There's clearly blame there mm. on the reviewers and the editors, but there was four authors on these papers or five authors on these papers. Mm. What and so these other co-authors from Stanford and Harvard, highly respected universities. Yeah. Do you think they have what? What blame is on them? Uh, if you're cheesing, I'll let you buy. Yeah, the corresponding author. No way. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Like, it, maybe it highlights how little they actually do. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, oh, pass, while I'm on my business plane trip, or not in this case, but while I'm sat doing something, I'll pass my, my gaze over this paper to see if it's worthy of my name. Um yeah, I don't know. Mm. It's absolutely not on the corresponding author. Yes. Yeah, I... So, you know, it, it's not our field, so we don't right. really have first-hand experience. Mm. And say you're publishing something with me, yeah. you don't ask to see my data No. before. But, but if I'm corresponding author, I should at least be all over the methods mm. i should at least have had such a guiding uh effect on this that i would be able to if questioned answer anything on the paper right yeah. that would be the ideal i see like you, but would you ask like show me your excel spreadsheets and you know this this number seven here where'd you get this number seven from show me your yeah show me your notebook for that number seven is that it should have at least gone, well, show me where the 70-something deaths have happened. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. those high-level, yep. you know, I know people team up, but still as corresponding author, mm. that's it. The, you, the buck stops with you. You're the, you're the person that says, like, this is good enough to submit to this yeah. high, this reaches all of, the, uh, all of the standards for scientific publishing, and I put my name next to it. That is the way it should be, isn't it? Yeah. So, right. where, so where does that leave us? Well, so with those retractions, trials restarted. But how do you think the public would react? So the trials restarted. It now comes out in a journal. You know, it could be The Lancet again. Mm. says hydroxychloroquine is an effective treatment yeah. for COVID-19. Do you know what? I feel like the, the public, this is too cloudy. This is too much. 
This yep. is too much. This is, as far as the public's concerned, toast causes cancer. Toast doesn't cause cancer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, wine's good for your wine's bad. Exactly. For you. Yeah. I yeah. just feel like we we love that middle bit. Yeah. But as far as the public's concerned, they'll be like, oh, it's another toast story or like red meat gives you cancer. Stop having barbecues. No barbecues, you know, whatever. So I feel like the maybe the public is a little like battened, uh, battle hardened to this kind of flip flopping of science. It doesn't help credibility, mind you. But I don't think it's uh, unreasonable from the from the um lay person's perspective that makes me feel a little bit better and it mm. could be true you do i do see things on the news where people publish a paper and they find that coffee has a good health effect yeah yeah and then later on someone publishes another paper where it could say that coffee has increases your risk of cancer or liver yeah. disease yeah and i don't kind of say well that liver disease one cancels out that yeah. positive effect one. Yeah. It's kind of a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's just this is just another level. The issue the issue is is that all of this is amplified by a moron in charge. Mm. Trump. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I think the true danger or it's like we really still don't know. And that's probably what has come out in this weird sort of tumble of data and whatever and retractions is that we still don't know if it's good or bad but we've got an idiot in charge Mm -hmm. of the free world doesn't care who doesn't care yeah (laughs) yeah he didn't even keep up with the crash and tumble of uh, (laughs) he he made up his mind a long time ago (laughs) exactly yeah yeah so maybe that's that's the true uh danger to science's uh public uh persona andy what these authors have a third paper oh and it hasn't been retracted this paper was released as a preprint in april oh they're brave <laughs> well so that they, they actually put all these things up as preprints but yeah, i couldn't okay. get those dates okay so in april they put this paper up as a this new paper up as a preprint and it disappeared around the same time as the retractions were going on. Mm. So I guess it's retracted from a preprint. Yeah, so that, what does that mean? Not not really retracted, but just removed yeah. from public so consumption. This is a, it's a problem. So this one must have been submitted somewhere around the same time, yeah. but it was actually being reviewed more closely. And yeah. so it, it had taken months to get through. Yeah. And so they've pulled it off the preprint servers, but... It showed positive ref- positive effects huh. for a drug called ivermectin. Ivermectin. And now this drug, ivermectin, because of this preprint, is part of the COVID-19 treatment guidelines in Peru and Bolivia. Oh, shit. As a, uh, it is in high demand all throughout Latin America. You can't buy it anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's actually common in veterinary. Um, so people are taking these animal drugs based on this 
originally this preprint and yeah. then it's just spread through yeah. like the hydroxychloroquine spread through before. Yeah. I guess that's a bit dodge is that people don't understand what preprints are. Yeah. So now there isn't a journal to retract the study to officially no. say it was wrong. Yeah, that's bad. So how does that information get out now? Or how can this like how can that damage be undone? That's that's tough. Um I guess the 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 server on which it was held needs they're acting like a journal in this instance. Yeah. And even though as scientists we understand that you anything in preprint still needs to go through peer review, the general public. I had this same problem with verbalize.science. Like people are like, well, I want to talk about my science or my conference stuff, but that's there's a like take with a grain of salt or yes, we believe this. Like mm-hmm. there's there's kind of that level of understanding. But for the general public, science is science. Especially if it's like published on a place on the internet. Yeah. So, in yeah. two columns. It yeah. Looks, could look professional. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah, preprint places, but yeah, it could say like you might be looking for this Ivernectin paper. The review the authors took this down. Yeah. Probably because it was dodgy. Yeah. But then yeah. again, there would be so many more papers people would take off their preprints for other reasons. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that's uh, a tough one. So that I mean that is really messy. Mm. Um All right, Andy, let's go big. Go on. Let's find a positive. Yes. Let's find a positive. We're going to be a more positive podcast these days. All right. Done. I love it. Could this possibly be the straw that breaks the camel's back and we now go to quality of Uh, research, quality of peer review, and in order to achieve quality of research and quality of peer review, mm. we scrap anything which rewards quantity because... If we were only reviewing one paper a month, we could go through these papers with the detail required to pick up all of these mistakes. Yeah. Instead, I mean, I'm reviewing one a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm, That's a lot. Other people would be reviewing a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, could, this, could this at all help us in the quality over quantity debate? Uh, I, I, yeah. Look, it could be. Could yeah, it? it could be. <laughs> Thanks for trying to be positive. <laughs> <laughs> probably, um, probably isn't. It could be. Yeah, is is probably the most positive I thing I can say. the The issue being is that uh, what are you promoted on still? Quantity. Yeah. So that has like before anything every university in the world which if you know anything about universities or academia or university red tape uh, or steering committees is that for people to even within the same faculty or institution to agree um, yeah it's near impossible so to get everyone that in university publishing or university sector even just to be like you know what this is terrible. Mm-hmm. We need to change it. And so what we'll be doing is saying that what we recommend to every scientist is that they produce one paper a year, but it's in the highest possible journal they can get it into. Or it's just of the highest quality possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's point. All. Yeah. I, I don't really care where you publish it. It's yeah. still Googleable, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, no matter Absolutely. where it is. Absolutely. So yeah, look, man. Uh, I would love to think this would this is the catalyst. Um, what what do you think the likelihood is of that? People going for quality over quantity. Uh, well, there are some pushes. So mm. our mate uh, Alan Finkel, the chief scientist of Australia, Big is Meister. pushing the quality over quantity debate. Yeah, and he is suggesting how grant bodies could help that out. Yeah. Um, I personally, it makes me feel like a bit sick where I think I see greed in the decision to make up data in this instance Mm -hmm. where it seriously could have caused serious damage to people's lives. Mm. Um, And so, and it's just like, it just makes science look so bad in my eyes. I'm really hoping that what you said that, People just washes over people is true. Yeah. They're distracted on Facebook, man. Don't worry about it. (sighs) That's also (laughs) probably true. (laughs) Only ones who already love science would have read read all of these articles to the minute detail I have, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, But uh, I've got a small silver lining that I have found out of this. Go on then. So the trials have actually restarted of using hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID and some right. of them are finished hmm. including the recovery yep. um, that's an acronym in the UK and it showed that hydroxychloroquine causes no harm to people taking it but right. also has no benefit in treatment of hydroxychloroquine Okay. so Trump is back to being wrong <sighs> boom <laughs> What a story. Music is provided by the awesome Adelaide-based band VoiceRom. Go check out their stuff on their Bandcamp website. Also, remember to subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app, like the Facebook page, and leave us a review on wherever you get this podcast because it helps us a lot. Cameron. You were just listening to Published Persian Podcast and it was brought to you this week by... Growyourbeard.com Beard Beard Pros Beardgrowingpro.com <laughs> Beardgrowingpro.com Go check it out My new business Final farewells Ah, oh, goodbye Bye <laughs>